Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tulsa World Opinion Podcast. I'm Jenny Graham, the editorial's editor. I'm Bob Doucette, an editorial writer and columnist. And there are a lot of things that happened this past week to talk about our weekly roundup. And one mm -hmm. of the, there were a couple of big things that happened right after our last podcast that we didn't get to address last week. And the big one was the state, Oklahoma State Board of Education knocked the Tulsa Public Schools accreditation for violating House Bill 1775, which basically says, don't teach anything to kids that make them feel guilty for being whatever race or gender they are. But what got me on it was that they never saw the evidence of that. So, yeah, I mean, when you watch that, I'll tell you my impressions was that it was, and the board, as a board, we came together and it's obvious TPS is being targeted. And board member Estella Hernandez said, because Tulsa is the biggest district, we're going to use them as an example. Because they were, TPS was pulled out of the agenda specifically, even though Mustang also had a similar allegation, but they wanted to give a, a more harsh punishment to TPS just because it's TPS. Yeah. And that's in line with what Governor Stitt has been targeting with Tulsa, his education secretary, Ryan Walters has, and we've always suspected it and now we know it. But even if you just take your opinion about Tulsa Public Schools and set it aside, what actually happened at that meeting was they never saw the evidence. The attorney in the agency said that there was a violation of the spirit of the law and it was a close call, but he wouldn't release the materials to the board or to the public saying it's copyrighted. But even then the materials he said didn't violate the law. It, and it came from background, a training, a professional development training a teacher who is believed to be from Memorial High School got offended that she said, you know, it had to do with uh, implicit bias that they talked about it and that she felt it was wrong. They wouldn't release the materials, but then he said the materials wasn't the violation. It was a conversation around it. So it was someone, they had an audio of the meeting. And so, but he wouldn't release the audio because he didn't have it or whatever. So no one has seen or heard what this teacher was offended by. And it comes down to teachers were having a conversation about the idea of everyone having some sort of bias. And we can't even talk about race now. And you and you're gonna, you know, punish an entire district on evidence you never saw. No one has seen this evidence. So what is your I mean, I know what my takeaway is. What do you think the whole ramifications of this are? I mean, a few things, all right? this It's a pretty serious deal, what they're talking about, what they did, actually. It's almost, I don't want to say it was like a sanctioning, but it kind of is, right? Right. Based on, you can have a, a district with thousands of employees and one person can tank your accreditation. One. Right. And they can do it in a way to where when this evidence is brought forward, it doesn't have to be brought forward. Uh, it could I mean, just be one guy being, in the agency. Whole thing about being copyrighted. What what a bullcrap reason that is. Yeah, I thought that I especially that if you're is. gonna use it to take an entire district's accreditation. 
that's that's just garbage so yeah. let's just let's just call it for what it is it does sound like they were like you know what this is the next step in a path to hammer this school district so we can just keep hammering them probably through the end of the campaign season for whatever political aims that you're trying to get the third take that i had on this is goes right back to when i first read house bill 1775 and it's written in such a way as if taken at face value it's very innocuous but it is extremely vague and we are actually now at the point where we have to question that if somebody feels uncomfortable with the idea of teaching something like slavery civil rights movement the, the race massacre what, and what if a kid comes to school and says what's this black lives matter about yeah Shouldn't the Can teacher talk be about able it? to answer that? And they should be able to answer it, but if they feel that they're going to get themselves and the district in trouble, mm -hmm. uh, this, my personal opinion, if you're, if you really want to make it to what the supposed intent is, that nobody should feel personal guilt just based on the color of their skin, then you need to write the law very intentionally. To, to do that because it's not written that way is extremely vague. And I know it'll never happen, not in this legislature, but 1775 needs to be repealed. For this very reason, you have an entire state with teachers and administrators who have no idea now what is inbounds and what is out of bounds when it comes to teaching very real subject matter in regards to race that's ridiculous well and it doesn't i mean if these are hard issues that we're dealing with in our culture right now yeah the way to deal with that is with more conversation not banning conversation and yeah. that's what this has done and but the other takeaway i come from this is this was a warning shot from the state board which is highly politicized at this point except for one carlisha williams bradley because she was the one, and she's the only one from Tulsa, and I think the only Black member, but she pointed out that TPS was pulled out of that agenda for this targeting when they weren't talking about the other in Mustang. And in Mustang's case, they actually self-reported and said, hey, we think we have a violation. We took care of it internally. And so the board said, oh, yeah, we probably ought to be harsh on them just to look fair. But it's a warning shot to other districts saying, get in line with us politically and ideologically, or we're going to come after you. And that's just straight up bullying. I mean, that's yeah. just, you know, they're not. And again, they have not seen or heard the evidence either. And that bothers me. Yeah. How do you do that without actually seeing the, and hearing the evidence? You're just, you're just taking it at someone's word. That's not how this works. Right. I mean, if you're going to take this kind of hard line, then there should, and that should be in the law too. Bring it forward. But this law was so poorly written, so knee-jerk reaction, and it is not going to improve education at all. If anything, yeah. it's going to go backwards. And TPS, keep in mind, one of the most diverse districts there is. We have people, kids in our schools who are descendants of race massacre survivors. And yeah. they're not and they're not going to be able to talk about these issues. And that was and what they were knocked for, the district, was not even what they were teaching. It was for a conversation among teachers. 
Mm -hmm. Now talk about a chilling effect in your workplace. I mean, if you can't trust your coworkers to have an honest conversations about what you're facing, I mean, that's, that's not good for anything. So, um, but our board came down pretty strong and said, we just don't have any faith in this board beyond Carlisha Williams, Bradley, who stood up to him and said, you're showing your bias. All the rest of them, I don't think they can govern with any sort of um, fairness. I think they're just uh, an analogy I made a little while back about you can't complain about the sad state of your car if you're the one opening the hood and taking a baseball bat to the engine. Uh Well, you can add our state school board to the list of Oklahoma public officials who are taking a baseball bat to our car. So... I don't get it. I don't understand why it's being this way. I don't understand why we're not actually trying to do things to make it to where teachers can teach as effectively as possible. We're just putting up more roadblocks. We're putting up more mandates that make it harder and harder at a time when teachers are increasingly saying, I've had enough. I'm out. In in record numbers. That was the other editorial that um, the board wanted to, the members wanted to address, which was, we have more openings across the state than we've ever had historically. We are, I mean, we are, what, a week or two away from school starting, and there are hundreds and hundreds of jobs that are not being filled. And so the board is focused on this stupid political thing when they aren't doing anything to help out this teacher and support staff pipeline. And we had school districts around Tulsa that had to close because they didn't have enough bus drivers because they didn't have any teachers that day because of whatever reason. The crisis is real. And until Oklahomans really acknowledge that, and also, you know, this whole idea of metro and rule, the rural lawmakers in the rural areas know whatever happens in metro, it eventually comes to them. These issues, we aren't, you know, there's not like little fences around our cities so yeah that was most definitely well and that comes down to the vouchers um the uh speaker pro tem greg treat says vouchers are going to come back he's planning on bringing it back now i'm not sure the house speaker charles mccall is on board with that um but this iteration of the voucher bill will be just for the metro areas just for a certain amount as if the metros, I, I mean, it's still the underlying problems aren't addressed, which, and I hope again, rural lawmakers and rural people understand that for every dollar that goes to a private school in the metro areas, that's one less dollar they get. Mm-hmm. I mean, and there's still no transparency. There's no reporting of academic progress. So we don't know whether these kids are actually doing better in a private school or not. And again, it just doesn't help public schools. 90% of Oklahoma kids go to public schools. And we're spending all this time trying to get money out of public schools. We're already 46 in per pupil spending. I, I, it baffles me as to why this is happening. And I, I just think there's got to be just some for-profit, um, for-profit money to be made in that. Am I being you know, real there? We got a letter to the editor that's going to be coming out on Sunday where she likens this bill to <laughs> a zombie. And I just keep thinking like right now, it's like we've got these bills like this one 
I think it's 1647 Senate Bill. That was what it was last time. It was Senate Bill 1647. Who knows what'll be next time? And you know, you think it's dead, but it's not. And then all of these bills like it come rising from the dead like a like a bad episode of The Walking Dead. Here comes the the bad legislation that's gonna come to eat our brains. Yeah, I don't I don't understand why people didn't get the message last time. I mean, it didn't even pass the Senate. Well, barely. It was not going to get heard in the House. Yeah. So there's a pretty clear message from lawmakers that they're listening to constituents and saying, hey, you know, let's not do this. I mean, you're talking about a very ideologically almost monolithic legislature at this point. And there's serious division on it that should give you some pause. Right. But, you know, let's just let the zombies run amok. <laughs> but, you know, there were 22 senators that voted to spend up to $161 million and send to private schools, which are largely in metro areas. Yeah. But then when it came time to actually doing the budget, public schools were kept nil. They got $17 million, And of that $17 million, almost all of it was line item for certain stuff like you know, fingerprinting kits or whatever. So they weren't willing to give that money to public schools. That think about that. And and I hope people are listening. Find out how your senator voted. Exactly. You know, elections are coming up. Speaking of bad votes, I had a couple other editorials that um and you've been keeping up with this issue a lot, which is the uh toxic burn pits, the veterans. I mean you were talking about this months ago and you brought this to the board and said, hey, you know, we've got to pay attention to this. And so, again, it's one of those I'm glad you did because now that everyone's aware of it, Senate passed it, then it came back for a vote, and both our senators voted against it. Yeah. So, I mean, when you you watched this whole thing, what was your takeaway? And then they voted again, right? And then Senator Inhofe voted for it. Yes. What was Langford's reason for not supporting veterans' benefits for toxic burn kit, burn pits? I think it basically for for uh, Senator Lankford, it goes to the point of cost. Uh, I think he wanted <clears throat> any kind of a big spending thing, especially something that's going to be recurring. He's been very cautious about that, um, which I can understand. We're not talking about small money here. We're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars. But here's the thing, and this is what got me going on this. We have for years sent soldiers overseas and, you know, sailors and Marines and things like that to fight these wars and literally three and a half million service members have been exposed to these toxic burn pits. And it is now it's kind of like this. It's kind of like Agent Orange all over again. You know, it's like, oh, no big deal, no big deal. Well, it turned out to be a pretty freaking big deal. People are getting cancer from Agent Orange. And now we're seeing, starting to see people later on after their deployments are long over and they're out of the service, they're getting sick with respiratory illnesses and cancers and things like that. And the common, you know, nexus there is their exposure to these burn pits. So somebody got the idea, it's like, hey, you know, if we're going to spend the money to go to war, we need to spend the money on our war fighters who come back with this, with these illnesses. And it's generally received pretty strong support. But for some reason, um, I guess about a week and a half ago, 
a bunch of people within the Republican Party in the Senate caucus decided, you know what, we're we're going to oppose this because we don't like something. I don't know what it was, honestly. I've, I've heard the reasons and they just don't stack up. But it was supposed to come up for like a vote they call for cloture. It's kind of like, well, this is our vote to say we're going to advance this for a real vote. And it didn't get enough votes to, to advance. And that was the one where both uh, Senator Inhofe and Senator Lankford voted against it. The backlash was enormous. It was bipartisan. I mean, when you're talking about ill veterans here, <laughs> siding against them, it's not a winner. It's a bad move. So the backlash was tremendous. The Senate came back. Uh, they probably could have. I think their idea was, I'm going to go ahead and we're going to vote no against this and we're going to push it off until after the August recess. And it was like, nope, this is not happening. You know, collection of vets gathering at the Capitol. Uh, John Stewart, former host of The Daily Show, he's been a big proponent of 9-11 uh, first responders and their health problems that they had come up, as well as uh, veterans and their health issues. So it was just really out there in front. And I think the Senate was forced to say, you know what, we need to take care of this. We need to take care of this now. And then they did. So I think that's a, I think that's kind of a win where the people said, uh, you know, you don't do our veterans like this. Take care of them. That's still disappointing that Langford didn't get on board. I mean, there's a certain things that yeah. are worth the spending. I know that spending is an issue. That we can cut somewhere else. We never cut anywhere else in the budget, but we can cut somewhere else in the budget to get that. Because this goes back, I want to say to the Kuwait. Isn't that correct? Like they this started coming yeah. up in the early 90s. That yeah. this is we're just now recognizing that there because for so long they were denied benefits because they were denied that there was a link. And now yeah. there are enough veterans coming out, unfortunately, because of the wars we've been fighting, that there is a link. Yeah. We need to take care of our veterans. That's that's the deal we make when we have a volunteer military. That's exactly right. If you send them to war and they got problems uh, coming back, health problems or whatnot, you don't hang them out to dry. No, you we just don't do it. it. Ideological concerns aside, you just can't do that. You've got to take care of your veterans. It's not like yeah. these people are coming back with a common cold. They're coming back with stuff like cancer. Come on now. Well, Inhofe has always been a champion for veterans, so I'm glad he changed his vote on that and got out of the politics of it. But we did have a bad vote with the uh, contraception bill. Um, yeah. I took the lead on that one. The, uh, of course, you know, our board agreed with this as well, and we kind of saw it coming. But out of the, the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe, Clarence Thomas specifically mentioned that now we can reconsider the right to contraception and the right to same-sex relationships. So Congress, the House, <coughs> excuse me, had two bills. One is just right to contraceptions and one is right to same-sex marriage. Our congressional delegation voted down both of them, but both of them eventually passed. Just a second. The, um, the right to contraception one will have a hard time in the Senate, but that was one that Stephanie Bice, <coughs> sorry, argued from the floor our, the reasons given for voting down is they called it a distraction by the Democrats. Stephanie Bice took issue with the broad definition of contraception. And what's interesting is I think that's going to be the next frontier. 
that now we're going to have to defend each kind of birth control. That some people think, well, this is really contraception, but it prevents implantation. And you start getting in the weeds of what it is. Mm -hmm. And I think it was a bad vote. I think that the House was trying to defend a right that was specifically targeted. I don't think it's a distraction, especially when you're um, depending on those, when you're depending on contraception, when you when you are in a same-sex relationship and you want, you enjoy that right, these are not distractions. The same-sex um, bill might actually pass in the Senate. So we'll see. Um, <coughs> so I want to set up a tease for your column this Sunday. So talk a little bit about you looked into the stocks and buying of uh, Congress, Congress people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so there was an item that uh, Randy Creeble had written about uh, in one of his uh, weekend notebooks um, where he was talking about how Business Insider was reporting uh, some stock purchases that uh, Representative Kevin Hearn and his wife had made. Um, defense stocks at a time that he was pushing for uh, increased defense spending. And there's been other times where he's been pushing for oil and gas and then his family trust buys stocks in uh, oil and gas companies. So I started doing some digging into that because a longstanding issue uh, within Congress is the fact that they get information that's privy only to them that affects a lot of different in industries and sectors of the economy that you could use that information to make very timely trades and stuff like that. Uh, if you were to do that as a stock broker or as a member of a financial institution or something like that, where you had insider information that the public did not have, uh, that would be illegal. It's insider trading. You can go to jail for that. But Congress had been exempted from that for a long time. Turns out that even after they passed the bill to quash that, still a lot of holes in that thing. So I did some exploring on that. I didn't want to just make this, let's pick on Kevin Hearn because he's definitely not alone. Uh, it's very bipartisan. It comes in both chambers. And it was a pretty interesting look. So... The bottom line question being when somebody is voting on different subjects that uh, they have and they might have holdings and stocks that would be affected by their votes, are they voting for the public good or are they voting for personal profit? Um, and there's a lot of gray areas here. So it was an interesting well, exploration. Well, you know, it, it's like with everything, you know, there's a... You pro there's you propose something that's supposed to fix it, and mm -hmm. sometimes it doesn't. And there are unintended consequences or loopholes or things, so you have to go back and check it. But just kind of, I wonder how many how many how much of the American people pays attention are involved in like stock buying and trading. I mean, I know everyone like we might have your four hundred one k, but this show like what a different world they live in. You know, oh, I mean, our Congress people, our the members of Congress are are largely wealthy people, and it's just they live in this world of you know, that, that I think most Americans don't understand and trying to, and you're depending on them to craft legislation to 
um, police themselves. So when you think mm -hmm. about that, sort of, I don't know. It's yeah, this Trump. is all done through the, the congressional ethics body. Well, that's true. Well, so, but, I guess you can't have, but it's said, still, it, you know. If you set it up in such a way that, I mean, it's just like I said, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fog in this kind of thing that makes it to where you can say, it's like, well, you know, I don't really have any say in that kind of thing. I have an investment manager who takes out that does all that stuff. But in the world of political intelligence and, and this and that, and if you're not familiar with the term political intelligence, this is where people will pay really close attention, do a lot of research into what committees are doing in Congress and what different kind of agencies are doing from a regulatory standpoint, getting that information quickly and then using it to inform your stock trades. Um, doing the work that most of us like you and me would never be able to accomplish. Okay. So it is, it's a funny world. And I know this came up, the, the stock act was passed in 2012, but we had stuff when the pandemic started mm -hmm. that looked really, really fishy for a, a couple of senators, um, <laughs> very timely purchases of mm -hmm. good stocks very timely sales of stocks that they knew that were going to, to tank. Uh, interestingly, I don't really know if anything ever happened with them outside of uh, Georgia Senator Kelly Loeffler losing her post. Mm. She lost her reelection bid that year, but uh, interesting stuff. You know, I just, I just check my 401k every quarter. I either celebrate or, or cry. Yeah, don't do that. And that's all I do. That's, that's it. And I get mad. Like this last quarter, I'm like, how many of these can I hand? How many hits can I take? But you know, it's like this. It's buying opportunity. At our age, just, it's still buying opportunity. You know, if we were 64, 65, that'd be cause for concern. But oh yeah, that, that's like I say, I don't know how many more. I mean, I'm 50, so I've got a few more hits, these cycles I can take. Sure. But my my column this weekend was more of just um. You know, I started thinking about the Women's March, what was it, about five years ago, and what's happened since then. And just overall, like, nothing to me has gotten better for women. Just, it hasn't from, you know, I mean, yes, you have the, the abortion right that went away. And mm -hmm. even if, I feel like I'm pro-choice and pro-life because I feel like choice is important and I think rights are important, no matter how I personally believe. And so losing that rights, one thing, but it's also just a lot of other things. There was a report recently that came out that said Oklahoma women earn 75 cents per every dollar for a man. Oklahoma ranked last in another report for well-being of women. Um, even like the Deshaun Watson thing at the mm -hmm. NFL. Just like what is, and for those of you who don't know, don't cheer for Cleveland. That's all I have to say. They treated Baker Mayfield bad, and now they've got a quarterback who sexually, you know, assaulted massage therapists in Austin, at least 25 of them, and he got a six-game suspension. That's it. And the reason that the judge gave him just a six-game sus suspension was because the assaults weren't violent in nature. And I'm like, again, it's just those, those things just sort of added up over time for me, and I just sort of like was raging and then Kansas voted Tuesday and I seriously thought you know what they're going to go the way of Oklahoma Oklahoma Kansas were very similar 
um, they're going to ban abortion, which Oklahoma already has with one exception to save the life of a mother. But Kansas voted like by 20 percentage points to keep the right in their constitution. And it shocked me. And it was just a glimmer of maybe people do care about women having choices and having that. And I know that that's simplifying it. But I am thinking about that was a, a, a statewide vote. It was a referendum in Kansas. Mm-hmm. What do you think Oklahomans would vote? If Oklahomans in November could vote on, do we want to put the right to an abortion or to at least add some more exemptions like rape and incest, how would that vote go? Do you think that, I mean, it's not unusual for legislatures to not completely reflect the constituency. Let's say it's common. But but I, I am wondering, I mean, I'm to the people who are hearing this, how would Oklahomans vote? I don't know. I mean, yeah. do the the Gallup polls and the and the different types of research shows that most Oklahomans do want abortion with some, you know, or at least more exemptions that we've restricted it to the point of nothing almost, but um, I don't know. So I don't know, but Kansas is making me think maybe people may, and, and, and it also shows there's power in voting that maybe, maybe women didn't get anywhere where they were marching, man, you go to the ballot box. Yeah. Makes a difference. So I don't know. That's where my head was this week. And I sort of let it all out in a column. So I'm <laughs> sure people will either hate it or embrace it. That's what we do, right? Sure. You don't have to agree with me. It's just my thoughts. Um, so ending the week, last night, I finally got to see Reservation Dogs. It was a premiere. It premiered at the River Spirit. What, last week, I believe, had all the stars and everything out. It's a Tulsa resident, Sterling Harjo's series that, it's my favorite series of last year. I watched, I watched Ted Lasso. I watched all that. Reservation Dogs, to me, is the smartest best series out there do you watch it i have seen i saw the like series premiere and i haven't picked it up again but i need to pick it up again you do because i liked it it was it was interesting it was it was it was fun because it was like man there's people that when i was in high school and college this is this is how it was i know these kids well and then even with this the characters like west studio is one of my favorites but he and then um, Gary Farmers, another actor. They, the if you when you come from a small town like I have, you know these people. You're like, oh yeah, that's that guy who just you know circled pizza parking lot talking to kids all the time. Or that's, and it's fun seeing things like Sonic Cups and QT references. But the story is just so smart. It's very subtle, and there there were episodes where it'd be something very heavy you know, a, a, a teen suicide. And then that same episode, there are these moments of just hilarity that you find yourself laughing during this episode that's very heavy. And I just, everyone should be watching this, not just in Oklahoma, just everywhere. I think it's just, it, it, it's, it's a critical darling. It's won all kinds of, you know, those critics awards and it's worth it. So watch it this weekend. That's my sign off. What about for you? Ooh, sign off for me. Um, gosh, I would do Don't that. Don't say ride a bike or hike. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that? I'm not going to do that. 
Well, Actually, I, I'll be back to school shopping. That's what I'll be doing. No, but yeah, that's coming up, man. We're, um, we're getting ready to send them kids back. Hopefully, we'll have teachers in the building. So you know. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. No, I think um, if we're going to just go on the TV thing, uh -huh. um, there's a show on Apple Apple TV called uh, For All Mankind. Oh, okay. We've been diving into that one. It's kind of like a sort of like a revisionist uh, version of like the space program from Apollo to, I guess, right now or in the 80s. It's, it's been pretty good. Hmm. So, I thought you were gonna say rewatch the wire because every well, people who don't know Bob has a lot of references to the wire. Of course, yeah, man's got to have a code. <laughs> Stop. All right. <laughs> well, things are probably still gonna be interesting next week, so tune in to us. Have a good weekend. We'll see you later. Adios.